0: Okay, please turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 11. I'll be reading Luke 11, verses 1 through 4. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when He finished, one of His disciples said to Him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And He said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be Your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. Father, I ask that you glorify your name, that you hallow your name, you sanctify, you set your name, your person, the essence of who you are in the midst of us assembled here this morning, that it stick out as utterly separate and unto a category that no others fit, that we may see and enjoy. Oh, let the presence of your kingdom invade our hearts with this truth to the glory of your holy precious name amen from childhood i had the words of this prayer embedded in my memory ever, ever since second grade when i would leave the confessional booth and the priest would say now is your your penance before you go say five our fathers in ten Hail Marys. But I would do that in a way that I do not think Jesus meant. For I leave, a, our Father, heart in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, and it will be done, as sins in heaven, give us day, day, bread, give us trespasses, we forget those trespasses, give something not to taste. And then do that four more times and get done with it. No, but rather, what we have here is a huge outline structural grid on how, disciple, you should be praying. This prayer that we're looking at this morning, and we will when I come back to this text in a few weeks, this prayer has been central to the church for the last 2,000 years. So many sermons, books, and expositions have been written on it over the centuries. It's been called the Lord's Prayer, but in reality it's the disciples' prayer. Luke is very specific about this. If you look at verse 1, Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when He finished, one of His disciples said to Him, Teach us to pray. And that's what Jesus is going to do teach us disciples how to pray see there's a sense in which jesus cannot actually pray this prayer himself the whole thing he's sinless so he's not he's not praying forgive me my sins. okay this prayer is for us and so i think also jesus gave this prayer model on numbers of different occasions at least two, probably more than two, because we have it in the scriptures twice. We have it here in Luke 11, and Matthew records it. And it's a totally different context. Now, when we look at the two prayers of Luke in Matthew, that the, the grid is essentially the same. Luke says essentially, word for word, what Matthew does, minus three central lines that Matthew has. Luke says, say this, Father. Matthew just says, say, our Father. And then Matthew adds this line, our Father who is in heaven. Luke doesn't have that. After the second petition, let your kingdom come, we see in both of them, then Matthew adds what Luke doesn't have, and let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then at the end of the prayer, Matthew adds the line, and deliver us from evil. After, lead us not into temptation. Luke doesn't have those. Now, because I think, here, this is where I'm coming from, looking at this text. Because uh, down the line... Before the printing press in the 1500s or late 1400s, the way that you did books and kept like the New Testament alive because it would, this thing's 300 years old, it's about ready to fall apart, is you have professionals who would copy word for word with a pen text. And over the years, I think what happened is that many of these copyists and monks, because they know and recite the Lord's Prayer like I just did, and particularly from Matthew, the fuller Version that some of these lines then over the years just, you know, we know what the prayer is. It's put the whole thing in there. And it just got added in some particular families of Greek manuscripts. And then later on, 200 years later, we've got, we got to recopy these. We can need some more. These are about ready to disintegrate on us. And it would just be carried on. But that is why if you open up the King James Version or the New King James Version, you're thinking, how can not quote it all? Because essentially it's identical with Matthew with those lines. Well, the reason that it is, is that in the early 1500s, the great scholar Erasmus took the numbers of Greek manuscripts that he had at his disposal of the New Testament and says, okay, let's, let's make this into one. And, and, and he, he, he took and wrestled with differing discrepancies and we have the New Testament from Erasmus' hand, which we call in history the Textus Receptus, the received text. Well, a 100 years later when King James funded and said we've got to get uh, a good, another good English Bible one of the greatest English translations of history the text that they did it off of was that text see the question comes are those extra words original to Luke did Luke write them okay. I, here's my, I don't think he did what, when you wrestle with this area called textual criticism it is so much easier to explain why they are got added then if they were original how did they disappear so just to say I don't think he did okay? so I think the text we have here uh, and, and the way that numbers of translations translate them and leaving out those lines is what Luke wrote alright we're done with that notice as we read this prayer and what we've been hearing the last few weeks this prayer essentially models the way we are to live We've been hearing vertical, horizontal. The prayer is vertical. The first two petitions, hallow your name, let your kingdom come. Now down to here, give us every day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. Don't lead us into temptation. Now, the context of when Jesus delivered this is prayer. Jesus was a prayer. Luke, more than any other gospel, Causes this to come out clearly in his whole narrative. So far we have seen that Jesus was praying. Dependent on his Father. Looking for fellowship and sustenance. When the dove, remember, the Holy Spirit came upon him in his baptism. Jesus began his ministry by going away by himself for an extended prayer and fasting time. And as Luke let us know in chapter 5 verse 16, he says, Jesus getting away to pray alone was a regular practice. Jesus was praying all night long without any sleep. That was the context for then He named out of all the disciples 12 of them to be His apostles. He was praying alone According to Luke, right before he asked that question, who do you say that I am? And before the transfiguration, the reason he's even up there was to go up to the mountain in order to pray. And now here in Luke 11, he lets us know that Jesus was praying. Jesus, as a man was dependent. Desperate. In other words, desperate to commune with the Father by the Spirit in His humanity. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place and when He was finished, one of His disciples Said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. Come on. John taught his disciples. Okay. And Jesus essentially says, Okay. Guys, when you pray, say, Doesn't it make you want to listen? He said, when you pray, as you are alone with God, or praying with others, say, look at it, say what? That first word is really stunning. A lot more stunning than you're stunned by it. He says, when you're alone with the Creator of the universe, the Judge of all, say to Him. He's talking to disciples. Father. Now, to us, 2,000 years of church history has gone by and it doesn't seem really all that extraordinary. It's in all of our prayers. It's, you know, it's our, our culture is Christians. Numbers of years ago, the New Testament scholar Hermaeus, he did a thorough study not only on the Old Testament which he did, which when you look there, this idea of a personal intimate address to God to Yahweh as father It's not there. The idea that God is the father of Israel, or that Israel is the son, that's there, but this address isn't there. But he did this study on all the ancient rabbinic literature. How were the Jews praying? Did they pray? Yeah? Did they ever address God as their father? No. Not until a thousand years after Christ in the Jewish literature do you find such a thing. And then we come to the New Testament. First century. Here's this Jew, Jesus. And every time he refers to God or prays, it is as my Father. Except for one time when he's on the cross And he says, my God, my God. And that's because he's quoting Psalm 22. But right after that, in the last few breaths he took, he said again, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Now, he didn't say it in English. And he actually didn't say it in Greek. Pater. You know that word, right? Paternal. That's where we get that from. Pater. Pater. He spoke Aramaic. He spoke some Greek too, but Aramaic was the language he's speaking mainly here with the Jews of Palestine. He said, I think Mel Gibson got it right. If you just read the screen. Abba, into your hands I commit my spirit. He tells the disciples, this is what you do when you pray. You say, Abba. Abba is that Everyday common word like dad or daddy is to us. Jesus was saying something that was really radical from everything that came before. God was, yes. To the Jews, the Sovereign One, the Creator, all-powerful, transcendent, far beyond and above us, the distant One. No one had ever in the entire history of Israel prayed like Jesus. Absolutely no one. And so, Jesus, they ask, how shall we believers pray? And he says, okay guys, that's how you do it. Say, Abba, Father, personally, intimately, connect with my Abba as your Abba. At that time period, this is earth-shaking. That's why many of Jesus' fellow Jews wanted to kill him. In John 5, for instance, Jesus says this to them publicly. My Father, or Abba, is working until now, and I'm working. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was He breaking the Sabbath, but He was even calling God His own Father. Making Himself equal with God. By addressing God in this familial, intimate way, Jesus was saying He had a unique, profound relationship. With the God of creation. With the God of Israel. With Yahweh. As John lets us know in chapter 1 of his gospel. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only or unique. There is no other son from the Father. Full of grace and truth. Before we get to the prayer again, that's the foundational truth of the one they're asking. This person is eternally unique as the only Son of the Father. That's the one massive, huge insight. Now, okay, only unique one who, as it unfolds in his ministry and after the one prophesied about, the Messiah, the Savior, the one who is the Lamb of God, who will be raised from the dead. How do we pray? And He says to His disciples, say, Abba, Father, Daddy. Not because of the fatherhood of God and the brotherhood of man, like unbiblical, heretical doctrine came about 140 years ago within the church. That's not why Jesus says this. God is the Creator of everybody. You could say He's a Father in that sense. Yeah. He is the Judge of all. He is Sovereign over all. But He is not the Tender, Intimate, loving, Daddy, Abba, of every human being. Jesus actually looked at many of His fellow Jews, religious Jews, Pharisees, and said, God is not your Father. Satan is your father. End quote. And according to Ephesians chapter 2, every one of us in this room were born into this world as children. Not of Abba, but children of wrath. God's judgment, ready justly, perfectly pounce upon us god is not our father naturally in terms of a loving caring daddy for his children but here's the glory of what we're seeing this morning through the miracle of new birth of new life in the only unique Son, Jesus Christ. I'll say it this way, biblical way, and we sang it this morning. Through adoption. Adoption. Through Jesus Christ. We're in the family. And Jesus, our Savior, the unique, eternal Son of God, says to each of us, My Abba is now yours father daddy this deep-seated approach say it this way this deep-seated consciousness of he's my father through Jesus Christ through his work on the cross to Bore my guilt and remove that barrier between me and my creator and he brought me into the family through adoption that deep-seated consciousness is at the heart of what it means to be a christian at the outset, Jesus is saying to these guys, guys, okay, I'll teach you how to pray. But it's, it's not that get all your, your T's crossed and your I's dotted and make sure you say the right words and do the right formula. He says, no, but first and foremost, this is prayer. A person, a living soul with a self-consciousness is speaking in me as my disciple, personally, to the judge of the universe, is tender, caring, comfortable Daddy. The point Jesus makes is to pray with the awareness of the loving, caring, intimate fatherhood of God who has saved You in His Son forever. Isn't that exactly what God says to us through the Apostle Paul in Romans 8? Verse 29. Listen to it. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. In order that, we might be the firstborn into this family through Him, His Son, among many brothers. Now, if Jesus is the only unique eternal Son, and through His redemptive work, He is creating brothers and sisters that makes His Father their Father. See, this addressing God as intimate Father was such a concept that was embedded in the early church through this prayer and elsewhere that it became a mark of what saving faith really is. Listen to how Paul says it in Galatians 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, in order to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba. Father. Strange, isn't it? That Paul, why do you throw the Aramaic? These people don't know Aramaic. These are, all these little towns in the region of Galatia, they're Gentiles. They don't speak Aramaic. But this Aramaic word was embedded in the early Christian church. He wanted to make sure that you don't merely hear formal pater, father. Abba. That again, Paul writes in another letter, Romans chapter 8, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back in fear. No, Christian. Are you in Christ? Do you understand the Gospel? Then he says, no, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom, this spirit, by whom we cry Abba father you back there in luke 11 now teach us to pray jesus and he said to them okay when you pray believer when you pray say abba hallowed be your name your name do you have a good name or has it been tarnished? Has your name ever been run through the mud? Many people's names have so much so that they go to court and they sue in order to get their name back. Because a person's identity is tied to their name. Person is his or Her name. That's why when God gave the Ten Commandments, He made sure that the Third Commandment was one of them. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Because the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes His name in vain. To hallow his name means to hallow him. We'll get there in a minute. But let's, let's just look a little bit and feel a little bit first about the word, the, the, the name. Okay, we're going to hallow something. What? His, his name, which, which, which you can't separate it from hallowing the essence of his person. But let, let's get a taste in Scripture. What do you mean by the name? What's the Bible saying about my name? Don't take my name in vain. First, I'm going to turn to Exodus. In chapter 3, verse 14. Very familiar. God says to Moses, because Moses wants to know, Who are you? What do I say? What do I tell people about you who is sending me? Quote, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people, Moses. I am has sent me to you. The most basic thing we can know about God is that He eternally is. Without Beginning. He simply is. This has baffled philosophers about our existence ever since. It, it, philosophy is birthed in the Greek culture with the question and in the reality that everything is becoming. <laughs> is there anything that is? Yeah, that's what Aristotle's trying to get at. Because we knew that everything's changing. And if something's changing and developing, then it's not, in the sense of has its own internal being. But it's all be coming. And God says before Aristotle's even wrestling with that, centuries earlier, Moses, I am. And that verb to be, the verb to be, I am, you are, he is, it, it is the verb in Hebrew of which God's personal name that He told Israel that whom He is, is built off of that name. Now, however you pronounce it, we don't know. But I just go ahead and pronounce it this way. Yahweh. The personal name of God is built off of that to be verb. I am. Then if you look at Exodus thirty-three nineteen, God said to Moses, 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 I will proclaim before you my name, Yahweh. And I will be, got to get this, my name, Yahweh, and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. And I will be merciful to whom I will be merciful. I think that teaches us something about, what is this? Name, okay, name is identical to this person now. It's, it, it's, it's pointing to identity. Who is God? Well, Here He is saying, I'm Yahweh, I exist, I am, and I am utterly and absolutely sovereign. So sovereign, I'll tell you who I have mercy on. Whom I have mercy? He is the only self-determining being. In existence. That's His name. In Exodus 6.3, He tells Moses, I am Elohim, God, Almighty. He's omnipotent. All-powerful. That means anything that His internal will says, that's what I want to do, He cannot be prevented. He is all-mighty. And we look at the end. In the book of Revelation, chapter 21, 6, God says, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Every human being in existence has their beginning from God. And every human being has their end in God. And their end will in God be sitting at the glorious banqueting table of the Lamb. Or it will be experiencing God as the lake of fire. Say this, Father, hallow, make holy Your name. Okay, okay, this Here's the other thing about his name first. His name is holy. Holy meaning it's set apart, it's distinct. God is, by his nature, holy. Holy other, distinct. If you've got something that is radically valuable, why why are particular baseball cards or stamps What makes them more valuable? Why does some of this stuff sell for hundreds of thousands of dollars? Because of its rarity. Now, when it comes to God, there's only one. That's the essence of His uniqueness, His holiness above everything else. He is holy. So what we see about His name is that God has eternal existence. He's the only one ultimately self-determining being radically and utterly sovereign who has mercy and grace on people he's utterly apart he is holy he is the one with whom everyone has to do he open up genesis and he created with his word everything that is He moved down Genesis. And sin so permeated the earth that He is the God who slaughtered every human being on it. Except for eight. He is the one who came down upon Sodom and Gomorrah. He is the judge. And Jesus says, Peter, screwed up. Sinful Peter this is how you pray now. To this God, say, Daddy, Father, this is the Gospel. You back to the prayer? Father, what? Hallowed be Your name. Name? Okay, now, what about it? it. Don't miss it. This is not part of the address. He's not saying, Father who is holy, Father the Holy One, part of the address whom you're addressing. No. This is the first request. It's the first petition, Jesus says, we are to pray. Jesus says to us believers, in prayer your first priority is to ask the Father to see to it that He acts. To see to it that He acts in this way. Causing His name to be hallowed. Isn't that strange? I mean, it sounds a lot like we just turned exactly one chapter back to the beginning of chapter 10 of Luke when we saw Jesus says, pray, here's another prayer, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into the harvest. So Jesus tells us to pray to the owner of the farm who knows more about the farm and exactly what he needs more than any of us do. And he says, go ahead and ask him to send out more farm workers. This prayer here is essentially the same. He tells us to ask the Father, that is, the one who is infinitely, with all of His might and power, all about glorifying or hallowing, sanctifying His name. That's what He's about. And He says, in your prayer, ask Him to do that. i I just, real briefly, I think there's just two things, maybe more, but there's there's two basic things that we should understand from that. And the first is this. Prayer. Prayer requests. This is what these are now. These are requests. These are petitions. Prayer does not move God to do things that are against what He's inclined to do. Prayer does not move God to do things that He's not already inclined to do like to glorify His name. God has every intention of ultimately and fully hallowing his name. Sanctifying His name. That's what we're gonna see the word hallow means sanctify, set apart, make holy His name in people. Ultimately He will do that. The second thing we learn is that He ordains us to pray that way. Because prayer is God's way of bringing our affections, our desires, in line with His desires. Now, hallow is a verb. Pray this way, Jesus says. God, verb your name. Act concerning your name in particular. Okay, How do you act? It's the word sanctify. Make holy. Now it's a passive verb, which is really strange here. We're asking Him to act in such a way that something happens in us human beings. Make your name in us hallowed, set apart, honored, valued, That's the prayer request. So so what does that mean to hallow His name? It just means simply, again, the word to sanctify, to set apart, or holy are all the same word group. We are to pray, may your name be treated as holy in us. But, what does that really mean, therefore, for us to treat His name as holy? I mean, what do we really praying for when we pray this just get a taste again from scripture about this hallowing of God's name for a moment do you remember in Numbers chapter 20 the people of Israel are getting thirsty again and they're angry at Moses you brought us out here and we have nothing to drink And Moses a little offended at this too God brings his man, Moses, and he speaks to him. says, Moses, trust me here, okay? Speak to that rock that water may come forth and the people may drink. God spoke. Moses is still bitter and really mad. And he just lays into the people verbally. And in anger, strikes the rock twice. Remember that story? Let me just read the end of it here. God gave him His Word. And Moses says in front of all the people, Hear now, you rebels! Shall we bring water for you out of this rock? That's sort of how I think he meant it. And Moses lifted up his hand and he struck the rock with his staff twice. Okay. Then God said to Moses, because you did not believe me. The key word there. Got to get that. You didn't trust my word and put your trust in me. Your anger got the best of you and you disobeyed me. Told you to speak to it, not to strike it. Particularly out of anger, as if everything's out of control here, Moses. Because you did not believe me, watch this now, in order to uphold me as holy. Now, see, a lot of translations try to say, let's make it really English so they can really get it. Let me just say what he's saying here in the original language. Because you did not believe me in order to hallow my name to the opposite of hallow. Sanctify His name. Let His name stand out as holy. Because you did not believe in Me in order to hallow My name in the eyes of all the people of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. So, a core part of what does it mean when God's name is being hallowed? It means people are living by faith. They're trusting God. They're trusting His Word. Instead of having a restful, peaceful, trust in the sovereign God of Israel, Moses was just livid and angry and it caused him to disobey God's Word. And He didn't treat it as holy. In that instance, he profaned His Word. Faith is essential. People believing the Scripture, the gospel, His promises. Look at 1 Peter chapter 3. Here's another little clue of what does it mean to hallow, sanctify God's name? Peter writes: Even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, starting with verse 13, you are blessed. And do not fear their intimidation and do not be troubled, but sanctify. There it is. Hallow Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you. So, Peter says something about sanctifying God, hallowing Christ in your heart mirrored with do not fear even when you're being persecuted. There's something about a dynamic going on in the heart. He calls it here hope. The hope of the Gospel is what he's talking about that so penetrates a believer that I'm not going to fear what man can do to me because of my faith in Christ. He calls that sanctifying Christ, hallowing <coughs> Christ. Another one, Leviticus chapter 22 and verse 31. God says, so you shall keep my commandments and do them. I am the Lord and you shall not. Here's the opposite of hallow. It's the opposite of sanctify. You shall not profane my holy name that I may be sanctified or hallowed among the people of Israel. I am the Lord. So, it's clear there. We hallow God's name when we obey Him. And we profane His name when we disobey His commandments. and So, There's that little taste. What does it mean to sanctify God? It means to trust in Him. It means to hate the idea of disobeying Him and profaning His name. It means treasuring Christ as you trust in the Gospel. So to hallow God's name, it is to treat it for who He really is. Trust Him. And as you do, it's hallowed, it's set apart, it's sanctified, it's seen, it's the light, it's glorified. Okay, that's the first petition. Who are we praying this for? Hallowed be Your name. I think that's what the second petition clarifies. Hallow be your name. Glorify your name. Cause your name to be sanctified and honored and hallowed. Holy Father, let your, here's the second petition, kingdom come. God, we're requesting that your kingdom rule, reign, come. Who are we praying for? I think we're praying for us. And I think we're praying for the whole world. As we have seen in Luke, this kingdom language is, is twofold. It's the fulfillment of the prophecies of the king coming and establishing the kingdom, meaning the rule and the reign of God. And we have seen that in Jesus' coming, the kingdom, the reign, the influence of God in Christ is present. It's here, it's operating even in his ministry, and it has been ever since. It's present. That's why I think, we'll see in a minute, this hallowing His name has to be, God, I'm praying that I hallow Your name. And we also see that the kingdom is not yet. It's future. There's all kinds of prophecies about the second coming of Christ and evil being wiped out have not been accomplished yet. So first, when we say, Abba, hallow Your name, you better mean, first of all, I say first, not last. First of all, you. God, cause my life, my feelings, my affections, my thoughts, my desires, my actions, the way I respond to the word, cause me to be a vessel that hallows. Sanctifies your. In other words, here it is: Your kingdom come. Let your kingdom, your reign, your presence, your rule on me. Cause this to happen in and through me, like what Jesus said in Matthew six thirty three. Right? This is what they... seek ye first: the kingdom of God first. You... What do you mean seek it? Where is it? No, seek His reign over. We're praying. Hallow Your name by Your kingdom coming, Father. Get victory over these sinful inclinations. Get victory over the hardness of my heart as I try to pray right now and get before you word and nothing's happened. Get victory over this sinful, habitual action. God, I'm begging you, please do this. Let your kingdom reign in me. Come. And it means, he doesn't mean anything less than Pray that God wraps it up. Pray for the consummation of the kingdom of God. At the Last Supper, Jesus said this, For I tell you, that from now on, guys, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom Of God comes. Hadn't happened yet in this sense. Pray that it will. You remember how Paul closed the letter to the Corinthians? The first one he wrote. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. And then this strange make Maranatha. You all know that we name stuff after that all right? right? In your house, it's Christ for the nations name Maranath. There you go. Marinoth It me come, Lord. It hadn't happened yet. Come, Lord, pray this way. Jesus describes this in 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 Luke twenty two. The Son of Man will descend send His angels, and they will gather out of His kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of God of their Father, Abba. So, when Jesus calls us to petition the Father, send Your kingdom, hallow Your name, we are asking, draw history to a close. Establish Your kingdom on earth. Do it, Lord. Come, Lord. Jesus, let's pray together. Holy, utterly set apart, unique, and yet in Christ, very intimate Abba. We long to see You honored more and more in our families in this church, in the South Bay area. Father, cause Your name. Cause it to be hallowed among us. Magnify the worth of Your glory in our hearts at Sovereign Grace Fellowship. And extend the influence of Your kingdom through us by adding to us here in the year 2012. Let Your Kingdom come, Father, and and invade our hearts and our affections and our families and our lives more and more. And, oh Father, we long for the day that Your eternal Son, our Savior, returns to earth in His humanity to raise the dead, to slaughter sin and Satan and all evil, and to establish His reign Forever, where Your glory, where Your name will be fully hallowed in the joy of all whom You have given to Him. Do this. Through Christ, in Christ, to the glory of Christ we ask our precious.